Welcome to Voice of the Millennials with myself, Yasin Kipi. We are on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM Studio. And uh, it's an interesting show tonight. I don't know whether to be happy or to be sad because I have a list of trending topics that have faced Muslims and in particular Muslim millennials, Muslim young people uh, in 2017. And we were going to, we're going to have a particular year in review show. And uh, with tonight being the last edition of Voice of the Millennials for 2017, we recap on the trending topics of 2017 and how Muslim millennials relate to it. And also we look forward to the challenges of 2018. 18. Over the next hour, we will look at the Me Too campaign, the hashtag Me Too campaign, gender-based violence, uh, politics around the world and how that has affected Muslim youth and particular interests with regards to social media as well. Um, then we'll also look at Muslims in music. Um, there's a trend of halal business and fashion. And then we also look at... Um, Unity among Muslims. Do young people actually have hope? And uh, my guests, um, one guest in studio, but we have some international guests on the line as well. Is none other than our resident <laughs> Shayha Mufti. Assalamu alaikum to you, Dakira. Wa alaikum salam. That's quite an introduction. I did not know I had so many titles behind my name. <laughs> of course you do. And then obviously online we have Azam Ta'me. He's from the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. Assalamu uh, alaikum to you, Azam. And uh, we have a very interesting figure as well, a British Gambian who is in Egypt. That's Mohamed Uttal. Assalamu alaikum to you. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it's been a really interesting year. I mean, if we can start with with, with you, that, you know, what has been for you some of the highlights and some of the lowlights of 2017 for, you know, for, for, for Muslim millennials? And millennials meaning someone who was born between 1994 and 2004. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just step outside of that mark in terms of the millennial mark. But um, nonetheless, I think that the, the one of the bigger, the bigger oh, yeah. for those who can't see, Yasin, Yasin's chirping at me. <laughs> um, but um, nonetheless, I think one of the bigger things uh, for, for me as a Muslim young female or young Muslim female, sorry, is the, you mentioned earlier, the Me Too campaign. And the reason that I found that this, you know, sort of opened up a, a dialogue was it was so in your face you know it was something that uh, was uh, on a platform that the youth use and by the youth i mean anyone between the ages of uh, say 14 to 35 users and they could add access to a discussion um, that many people uh, on a, of a topic that many people experience but uh, do not necessarily have a way of addressing. So yes, the Me Too campaign and we know that this refers to people that have either been sexually abused or sexually harassed and uh, they could now say, you know what, I too experienced something of this nature, uh, not necessarily giving um, details but were able to, you know, sort of find their voice. And uh, I mean, if I can bring Azam into this uh, topic as well I mean there's been a number of speculation as well as um, and from an Islamic perspective in terms of principles of, of innocence until proven guilty there were a lot of speculation about uh, Muslim speakers as well what's your take on that uh, I think it is normal for us to see that many Muslim speakers have fallen under what we would consider to be devious actions I think Many of many Muslims tend to idealize the speakers to us to expect things which are transhuman from mm -hmm. those speakers, you know, the, the saints manifested. And I think 
that what happened throughout this year would help us look at uh, our figures more as humans than as you know infallible things. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, do you have any comment on that as well, Mamudu? Yeah, definitely. I feel like as a millennial, we are so in touch with celebrity culture that all we've done with our Islamic students and our also celebrity culture. So, you know, our scholars have become our celebrities. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this juicy kind of gossip that anything that's said about them, everyone wants to know, we want to tweet about it, everyone wants to have a comment. And we know the best thing really from an Islamic perspective is that, you know, if you don't know anything, you keep silent on it. And I, how do you prevent that feeling of, you know, just complete admiration for a person and, you know, not connecting your love for the person with wanting to know everything about that particular shaykh? To a moment of- I mean, I think it's very difficult because naturally, um, if you can fall in love with a celebrity who has no connection to Islam, someone teaching Islam in a way that you feel inspired, you will naturally feel connected to them and you'll feel personally offended when they are offended as well. So I think it's mm. quite natural, but I feel like also returning back to that original point of, you know what, they are still human at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, however, Dakira, is is this relationship between sheikhs and females. And I think uh, that's been quite ambiguous, you know, when it comes to um, those experiences that many women have had as well, not knowing what the sheikh means when he touches a lady on the shoulder, for example. Uh, how do you see that? Yeah, I think as a as a young Muslim female, when you are around shiuch, and uh, I've had the the honor of being around many prominent shiuch and being taught by some of them, mm-hmm. um, I I and now being you know in the in the media where you're out in the field and or you even in, in you know in the office environment mm-hmm. where you have guests, um, you you tend to close yourself off to people, and so when people you know tap you on the shoulder, as I don't I can't speak for non-Muslim female, but as a Muslim female, you tend to question it, and you know you step back and you're like, oh, this is my private space or my personal space, and so I think that the the, the guidelines and the the lines of contention is very different for Muslim females, so we have to also be careful about how we uh, interpret certain um, physical gestures. but I think it's interesting, you know, with this came, you know, we saw that there were a number of um, Muslim, uh, what not necessarily ulama, but people that were, you know, prominent in mm-hmm. the scholarship of Islam. Um, without mentioning names, there was uh, one lady uh, who, uh, Ahenda Ayari, but won't mention the, perpet- the, the yeah. alleged perpetrator, mm-hmm. uh, who she accused yeah. of having raped her. And um, when you look at her, you know, social media, you will find that there are a number of people that are blocked her, you know, saying how can she come out with this? You know, this is the this, they can't believe that this man yep. has um, perpetrated such a crime against her. So there's also this feeling that um, you know, young young Muslims of today, uh, where do we stand when it comes to these issues? Are we go- issues? Are we going to be vocal, completely vocal, and say you know what, so and so did this to me, or is it going to be a matter of you know what, don't create fitna? Mm-hmm. And you know, in the newsroom we had this discussion and yeah. we said no, but this is news. Yeah. So yeah, these are the discussions I think that uh, going into 2018, we'll have a better understanding of how to address such topics. Azam, do you think we should, um, pr- you know, uh, support this me- hashtag MeToo campaign and telling people, come out if you've had these experiences? Uh, the problem lies in that does, is this enough? Do we need to expose those who have spoken, to, who have committed such acts, or do we need to enact structural uh, changes where such acts are no longer uh, done to begin with. And I think while such a campaign might help us 
to uh, know who is doing such mm-hmm. devious acts, it is not pointed. It will not uh, end the phenomena in any way, uh, actually. And as such, I don't think it's the best measure. It might have its own limited utility. However, we need more than that. We need to create safe spaces where such acts no longer happen to begin with. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting that you say that you say that because there is this criticism of the hashtag #MeToo campaign, um, and that is because it puts the responsibility of mm-hmm. publicising either the sexual harassment claim or the abuse on those who experienced it, and so that could also be you know a re-traumatising yeah, yeah. you know event, mm-hmm. and so it should also you know we should perhaps then open the discussion, especially amongst young boys, you know about the treatment of females instead of saying you know a young female if you've experienced this speak out we should the, the the responsibility should be on you know parents teaching the, the the young boys how to react we know that many parents and i'm not saying all parents you know they they do very well we know in, tra- in training the the youngsters and so we can't always blame them for the actions of their children but nonetheless i think it does come down to um a power a sense of you know power that uh, certain males or even females we saw f- males come out and say that yep. you know they've been harassed sexually harassed in the workplace mm. so yeah i think Moving forward, uh, Muslim youth need to lead the discussion on this. Yeah, I think that's important. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Desai Azam Talme and Mohamed Tal about uh, just the tr- trending topics of, of, of 2017 and how Muslim millennials relate to it. Um, you can uh, you can you can join the conversation. You can phone in on 021-442-3530 if you're international. Uh, it's plus two seven, so it's 021. Four four two three five three zero, or you can WhatsApp us on our plus two seven again oh seven two two three eight oh seven one two. Let's take a quick ad break. When we come back, we'll we'll have a longer discussion uh, with the guests. Uh, just stay tuned. The Voice of the Cape ninety one point three FM stereo. So to Lafayette, Voice of the Millennials. With Yasin Kipi. Igniting the youth. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Voice of the Millennials with myself, Yasin Kipi. Uh, we're still continuing the discussion on the trending topics of 2017. Uh, now, I, I just want to focus on, on, on you, Momidou. Um, uh, you're still there, right? <laughs> Yeah, of course. Okay, so um, you, you're starting this project called the Muslim Millennials Project, and um, you hope to, ha- you know, just um, conscientize a lot of youth to to get people speaking and and hopefully have a have a summer uh, retreat. Um, talk to us yeah. about that. In in also in reference to the next topic that we're going to talk about, social media, and and, and another thing that that's really troubling um, young Muslim people and people in general, which is depression. You know, talk to us about that. Yeah. I feel I'm just satisfied with, I recognize the problem. The problem I recognize, especially in places like the UK and then by extension America, and by, by extension the West in general, what I found is that there has been a growing disconnect between Muslim, young Muslims practicing Islam and the scholars. So they feel that the scholars are either out of touch, they're not talking about talking on issues that are relevant to young people. And nowadays, especially in the UK, you have a now generation where people are no longer going to the mosque Islam, where they're going to university, yeah. and that comes with you know, Orientalism, that comes with atheism, materialism, and that's where they're getting their source of Islam from. So what I found is that how could I merge the two? How could I get scholars who understand the time we live in and to speak to a way to millennials where that's relevant? So, and that social media helps. Young people are always on social media. 
you know, young people get their Islam social media, they get Islam from the university also, and, and obviously social media. So I want to create a platform where this will be go to place to learn Muslim language to get their Islam from. Yeah. Uh, Azam, I mean, uh, you, you, you studying at, um, you study traditional studies. I mean, I know Momudu is you, you studying as, as well in Cairo. And I think everyone in the discussion ha- has studied traditional studies. Um, but some of us uh, have also been, you know, privy to uh, Islam in Western academia. Talk to us, uh, Azam, about that and the role that that has in, in terms of social media and people g- gaining the Islam, young people gaining the Islam through social media. Um. Well, there's a, it's a very complex approach, especially that uh, much of what is in academia and what is manifested in uh, in social media is taken from Western perspective, and therefore many of the ideals within which Islam is constructed in an uh, in its original context, namely the Arabian seventh uh, uh, century context, is uh, very much out of touch for most people. And therefore, uh, when you attempt to mm-hmm. deliver the meanings of Islam, it, there's, uh, much is lost in translation, actually. Okay? And so when we speak, for example, of modesty, many people now, you see, uh, we have, for example, modest fashion at the moment. Hmm. And that seems oxymoronic for many because how can something is uh, how can you have an industry a capitalist industry which is centered around modesty? And these things are highlighted over and over in Western academia, especially in the context of critique, yeah. which basically attempts at bringing out the uh, contradictions in certain narratives, which are which tend to be prevalent on social media, quite ironically. And therefore, I think that. There are certain barriers which are present on social media, which till now we have not been able to transcend. And while m- many Muslims tend to get their knowledge through social media and through uh, uh, websites like YouTube and uh, Seekers Hub and so on, there is still much work to be done. Well, what, I mean, what's your response to that, moment? I mean, how are certain ways that you can actually break down those barriers? Yeah. One thing I always say to is to um, get people off social media in a way. But I feel like social media is good for advertising this kind of stuff. Get people, you know, get people interested in what you're doing and say we're going to talk about, you know, modest fashion, for example. But we're going to have a discussion and say all different people's side. I feel like from my own experience, young people feel like, you know, they dubbed the ulama the clergy because I feel like they don't listen to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that Azam mentioned as well, Dakira, is this halal fashion industry and um, um, all of these Brand names coming out with 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 um, you know um, uh, certain um, you know uh, modest. I don't even know what I'm talking about in terms of that because I don't know much about it. But um, what do you make of that? Yeah, I love how careful you are, Yasin, about you know speaking about female topics. Um, but just before we get to that, I think it's interesting, you know, about the issue of um, uh, seeking Islam on social media. Uh, what I find interesting is that there's uh, there's this divorce between spirituality and religion on social media. So you find mm. that everyone seems to be a mufti yeah. when it comes to certain topics and whether it be fiki topics or topics of you know akida mm-hmm. um, and so I think sometimes the platform is good but in many ways it, uh, it adds to hostility and, and, it's prov- and can sometimes be provocative in the way people approach the topics and so yeah I think uh, just on that I think that sometimes uh, we need social responsibility as Muslims in the way we engage on topics of Islam um, but when it comes to uh, the issue of dress uh, I find that fascinating 
because I'm not someone that necessarily puts that much, much effort into, you know, mm-hmm. what I wear and, uh, you know, how to appeal either religiously mm-hmm. or non-religiously. Um, but I have to say recently when I went to Johannesburg and I interacted, in, interacted with a lot of um, Muslim young girls yeah. from the uh, so-called, you know, Muslim community. Conservative they, Johannesburg. Yeah, conservative <laughs> Johannesburg. Yeah, I, I, you know, within the media, within the media um, community, I found that there were a lot of young girls, or well, not young girls, but you know, young women that. Um, were more open and more so to, you know what we what some people would refer to as progressive in the way they approach topics um within the muslim the more conservative muslim community i found that they were quite shocked firstly that i was traveling uh secondly yeah uh, on your own right yeah, uh, on my own uh, yeah. you know the question was uh you know you're saying you're saying in a hotel by yourself um these were the things and so you can see that there's different dynamics for different communities um mm. for for me it was like yeah it's fine you know I'm fine. I, mm-hmm. I I never thought thought of it as an issue, and uh, whereas they were grappling around that, and you know the fact that I was taking an Uber by myself or that I wanted to drive by myself at night, um, and so I think yeah, when it comes to uh, the issue of uh, a female, uh, there's there's still so much discussion um, that's that that's happening on that topic we saw recently in Saudi Arabia. You know the mm-hmm. issue of driving yeah. was uh, was was brought to the fore. Um, and we know that next year, inshallah, uh, Saudi women will be able to drive. But even Yasin, you know, in that discussion, we saw there were a number of people that criticized the, you know, the, the, the media buzz about the driving of the allowance or allowing females to drive in Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia. Some, some people even had posters made on social media saying, you know, there's people dying in Syria and Afghanistan and this place and that place, but we're talking about Saudi women driving. What people did not understand was the fact that this was groundbreaking. Um, you know, we're in a country where women's rights are so vastly oppressed that we can now say, you know, that at least the freedom of movement is allowed. So it's a completely different discussion to people being killed. Um, and so I think, yes, the rights of women and the freedom of women is something that uh, can be yeah. spoken about for a long time. Uh, I think that's also an important thing. When we, now we would, let's shift to politics. We've been talking about the Me Too campaign. We also talked about um, um, with regards to social media and um, the interaction between various uh, people and, and Muslim young people and how we relate to these things. But let's talk about politics and uh, how Muslim young people have reacted to uh, the various incidents that have happened in the world. And one of the major issues, I think, um, there's a lot of frustration. There's been, um, I mean, Mahmoud, you know, that's the spit and last. There's been attacks in the UK, Manchester attacks, the London Bridge attacks. Um, there's been so many attacks um, in Egypt as well by, 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 by ISIS. Um, all of these things gives a sense of urgency for young people to want to change, um, you know, the ummah, to want to change their own community communities and hopefully not the, I mean, some people go extreme and they want to join groups but others are more grounded they understand that Islam is, is vast and there are so many canonical interpretations of the way we actually live our deen uh, as a way of being um, but when it comes to that liberation how much do we have to you know compromise of our deen to in order to make sure that our our society um, is one of one of unity and is one that is politically stable uh, and and maybe we can we can start just uh, in the Middle East with Azam. How have you reacted to to the recent you know all of these uh, debacles in Hezbollah in in Lebanon and the Saudi issue and Israel as well? Well, specifically in the context of being Lebanese, nothing really surprises me surprises me anymore. 
you know, you, yeah. you get hit by so many events so rapidly that you're just desensitized at a certain moment. Hmm. However, it's been a very turbulent year because this year ISIS was defeated and this was elemental in the year because ISIS was at the borders of Lebanon at one point. However, we also have the Assad regime and, you know, all, all that. The problem <laughs> occurs in that um, we tend to be really responsive uh, and but in a reactionary manner to these events. And therefore, we're always on the weaker end of the events. And this is a problem for the youth in that whenever we tend to delve into something which is actually, you know, a constructive process which takes time, all these events hit us, and then we tend to be distracted from the actual constructive efforts into uh, the more uh, reactionary processes. And therefore, whenever we tell the youth, you know, just let's, let's focus on this project and we'll deal with these uh, things we need to react to later, we tend to, uh, to receive this, uh, uh, this uh, really high hyper sense of we need to do something now and that's <laughs> problematic it yeah. really reminds me of you know the one dollar of Starbucks which goes to uh, hungry children <laughs> and so it, it, you don't choose not to go to Starbucks and support a, a capitalist uh, world uh, uh, globalized franchise you choose to give one dollar and feel good about yourself and that's what tends to happen with most of us regarding all these rapid events which happen so frequently nowadays. Azam, just a quick question. In, in, in your area of the world, how difficult is it to actually you know, separate your identity as a youngster from your identity as being a Muslim? Because uh, you know, in the world of politics, uh, the word Islam and you know, words like terror are generally joined uh, in the media. Uh, do, you, do you find that the youth, uh, the Muslim youth, have been frustrated by this sort of uh, conversation? And I think also we, we asked that question to Mobidu also after Azam um, answers. Stuff. Yeah, Azam, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so the problem here is that it's not about the Muslim identity per se, it's about the conservative Muslim identity. Because we have, you know, over half the country is Muslim, and so it's not really weird to be Muslim around here. However, once you have a beard, then that becomes to be a bit fishy. Once you wear hijab, then, you know, the job opportunities start to uh, get less. And, of course, you don't have uh, rules against uh, discrimination, and therefore, you know, that creates problems. On many occasions, I was stopped by the police and investigated with, and, you know, you just get used to it after, <laughs> after a while. Yeah. However, many do have a fear of being practicing Muslims because of this. And, of course, it, uh, it rises and falls with uh, political events. So when ISIS is, you know, thriving, then things become tougher. When ISIS is not thriving, then, you know, things get easier. What do you think, Mamadou? Yeah, I was going to say, from, again, once again, from my own experience, I found that there is kind of this revolutionary spirit amongst young people. Mm-hmm. And in that, they're reacting in, in that revolutionary spirit. For example, like the, you saw in America, the election of Donald Trump, uh, the Black Lives Matter campaign, the attacks that happened in the UK. I find from young people, they really want to get involved. But I think with that, there's not a lot of like leaders or knowledge to go with that. Mm. I find it's kind of like everyone wants to get up and shout and, you know, get up and shout and do something, but it's not really guided. And so that's where you have a lot of issues. For example, now you have this confusion of like, okay, I'm a young person living in the West. I believe in the freedoms of people. But then what does my religious identity say about supporting a homosexual marriage, for example? Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, mm-hmm. sorry. 
Yeah, and you have and you have a lot of these things. So for example, I feel like so in America, Black Lives Matter it started off as a very nice campaign, and you know it was very important. What it said, but then it led into other things which were contradictory to Islam. Mm. Again, like you know, what young people are feeling, okay, I want to support the movement, I want to be involved, but I don't know how much I can be involved. Yeah, I mean uh, th- that's really interesting. Um, and uh, where do you find the actual um, answers to those things? Uh, I think you have, that I can answer. I don't to that. Yeah, I think just on that topic of the Black Lives Movement, I think that uh, perhaps uh, you can, you know, Momudi, you can actually add to this again, is this this idea that uh, Muslim youth are separated from um, uh, campaigns such as the Black Mi- the Black Lives Movement. Um, would you say that uh, the 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 global Muslim community do not necessarily associate themselves with such topics um, because saying that you know we question whether or not we should be involved? Uh, does that not then separate us from you know? Really vital discussions that are happening now. Most definitely, I mean, you have you have extremes. You have some sheikh, I've seen some sheikh online mm-hmm. say that, for example, uh, no names, of course, but you know, Black Lives Matter, you can't get involved because it was started by Kufar. Mm-hmm. You know, you get some extremes from that angle. You get some extremes that no, you have to get involved in whatever they do. Yeah. So I kind of feel like finding this middle ground for young people has been a challenge. Yeah, I mean, that's really important as well. Um, now, now, when it comes to, you know, this entire uh, climate, and um, it's a quite a pun because climate change is also, uh, you know, an example where emotion has come in um, and really facts have gone out. I mean, Donald Trump just tweeted about, um, was that yesterday? He said in the East it could be the coldest New Year's even record. Perhaps we could use a little bit of that good old global warming. So he's basically saying because it's cold, there's cold weather, um, there can't be climate change. They can't be global warming. Uh, we, as an actual fact, um, there's been uh, you know over a thousand uh, climatologists with PhDs who have said no global warming and climate change is a reality. So there's all of this emotion that that's taking place, and uh, that that brings us to the next topic um, of unity among the Muslims. And many people are uh, many ulama also say no, let's just live and let live. Let's not interact let's not have dialogue with people we disagree with um as young people in your part of the world you know the Akiram, azam and and momadu do you feel that there's still hope among young people um you know that when you see um there's a shia there's a sunni there's a salafi there's a sufi all of these things do you is this still a sense of hope that there will be unity and not just this emotional reaction to each other uh, let's start with uh, momadu I think it's getting better. I think like people are realizing, especially in my context in the West, in in the UK, for example, mm-hmm. I don't. When when Muslims go on TV a lot of the time, I have to hold my breath, thinking, "Oh my God, what are they going to say now?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, embarrass everybody. But someone like Mehdi Hassan, mm-hmm. because he's obviously uh, outwardly, he's a Shia. Mm-hmm. He is one of the best people we have in Muslim TV in the UK, mm-hmm. and I find people are thinking to themselves now: we're at a stage where. Islam has come, come under such a radar. People are attacking Islam from every direction. You know, when they see Mehdi Hassan, people are not thinking that the attackers are not saying, oh, he's a Shia. They're saying he's Muslim. Mm. And what his, his actions will reflect what we do as well. So I feel like there's more hope now. And I feel like these labels of Christianity and Shia and all these, you know, whatever people call themselves now, are slowly dying out. People don't even know what they mean anymore. Mm. Yeah, well, what about you, Azam, in the Middle East? Well, it's quite different here because uh, now there's a huge clash between Iran and Saudi Arabia, mm. and therefore the sectarian lines are very much evident. Mm. And you see Hezbollah attempting to control Lebanon and doing that quite successfully, and therefore you have very much uh, anti-Shiite trends in the uh, Sunni population. 
And I say it quite makes sense that the distinction between the two, especially with the difference uh, regarding the position uh, towards the regime in Syria and you know the tensions that are happening there, and the Sunnis being against the regime, and Hezbollah being with the regime, and with all that happening, the sectarian lines, a call for unity now tends to be a call for the uh, to to you know just agree with the one who's ruling. So in the case of Lebanon, Hezbollah is ruling, and so the cause for unity is the call to say, okay, Hezbollah, it's okay for you to rule. And in other places, it's the Sunnis ruling, and there's the cause for unity, and there the cause for unity would be to say, okay, it's okay for the Sunnis to rule. Hmm. And that's something which neither will accept, and therefore, right now the talk on unity tends to be a pacifying talk, which no one really accepts. But I mean, surely it's an issue of politics and it's not really a religious difference i mean the religion is is being di- i mean politics is being disguised as religion uh, is isn't there a sense among young people that that's actually what's happening and let's talk and let's unite against these um these agents of division um Azza? Uh, well since iran is so evidently religious and uh, its project is so evidently religious it's quite tough to say that this is not religion especially when most of the shia scholars are saying that this is the religion and when i focus is something we must uh, actualize and so on and things reading those lands are saying no we will not accept this and therefore to say that it is merely uh, politics masquerading itself as, as religion tends to be a bit reductionist it's actually and intertwining of the two mm-hmm. in that it's a political religious project. Actually. Okay, I see. What about in good old South Africa? <laughs> yeah, in good old South Africa, interestingly, you know, I, I always perceive that the Shia-Sunni uh, divide as much as, uh, you know, one of our guests has just said that uh, there is an uh, intertwining between religion and politics. Uh, in my opinion, the way it's been used in recent years or in the past uh, few two decades, we would say, uh, it has been more so political and politically motivated where leaders do not necessarily understand even the meaning of Shia or Sunni mm-hmm. but the word is being thrown out there yes. as a media personality we know that we hear this word constantly yeah. you know uh, in mainstream media and so but recently uh, a few weeks ago I was having conversation with a family not from Cape Town but from elsewhere in South Africa mm-hmm. um, and from more of a conservative family and I asked her you know would you move to Cape Town you know it's beautiful seas they love Cape Town mm-hmm. and they said well we did consider it uh, but unfortunately now because of uh, the the worry of where they, how their children will grow up in a community where Shiaism is yes. accepted. Yeah. They, they, they really worry for the Aqidah of their children. Mm. And so um, I think that uh, me being a, a, a Cape Townian, you know, to a large degree, um, I found this interesting because we grew up and in the school of thought we come from is you don't make takfir on anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't serve you much good. Mm-hmm. And so I found this fascinating that uh, the Cape Town community is very different in terms of the way the youth approach things to the way other communities in South Africa approach these kind of topics. Okay, let's take a break and we have about another 10 to 15 minutes left of the show. I mean, of, of this segment of the show, but uh, let's take a break now and stay tuned. Zero. Today. Radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. So, to Lelfiat, voice of the millennials, with Yasin Kipi, igniting the youth. 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Voice of the Millennials. Myself, Yasin Kibi. So, last 10 minutes of this part of the show. Uh, after after Maghrib, we, we, we're talking to um, uh, Ismail Akhalwaya, Dr. Ismail Akhalwaya. Shah Abdul Hakim Murad will be in, in Cape Town uh, next week, so we'll be just talking about that. And then Sheikh Ali Khalfi's um, youth madrasa as well. But um, uh, let's talk about the, just the last point now on, on, on a particular issue that we have seen. Uh, especially in 2017, is Muslims in Music. And um, Dean Squad was recently in Cape Town, not in Cape Town, sorry, in Durban. And um, conservative Durban um, rejected, you know, the version of of music. And, and in the on the website it says, you know, they mix hip-hop, hip-hop with, um, you know, spiritual music and, and Islam. And so um, they still brought them to Durban. And when they were on stage, they had all of these lights and, and rapping and, and singing with, with really amazing lyrics and there were young people in front dancing and singing but people were saying how that's completely unacceptable and um, conservative Durban and obviously there were messages of support uh, but when it comes to young people and I know Momadou you are so on social media you were recently on in a music video with Khalid Siddiqui tell us about what you think about the, this whole new you know um, ways of portraying uh, music especially in the West I mean, first first point I would like to say is that I just hate the term halal music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know, it really just, it really, it's, I don't know why people need to Islamicize everything. It, at the end of the day, it is just music with Islamic, with Islamic uh, lyrics. Yeah. Islamic related lyrics. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first thing. Listen, I think it's quite an amazing way. I feel like people do communicate by music, people do understand by, by music. And people shouldn't underestimate uh, the role music has in young people's life today, uh, rightly or wrongly. And what I found, especially with the likes of Carla Siddiqui, who's a friend of mine, um, you know, he's had so many messages of support. People saying, you know, I've taken, I've became, I've uh, embraced Islam. Yeah, yeah, music. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, you know, and I feel like sometimes it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, I got in trouble once on Facebook because I said, and um, I said in uh, one time that the chuppahs in Birmingham, where I'm from, are so boring that I rather listen to a music song, get more inspiration from that. Okay. <laughs> so they got, you know, people got upset with that. But, but I find music be a Quite a powerful tool, mm. and you know, I'm obviously, obviously, I think there's going to be limits as well. And I think that problem with music is, is naturally the feelings that it invokes are going to sometimes be at odds with wake up in Islam. For example, you're going to have young people dancing in a place, maybe young boys and girls together yes. dancing. How do you navigate that? I mean, actually, the girls want to come over to the, the male uh, singers and want to speak with them, maybe hold their hand. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like that's that's, that's for the artist to deal with and how they can deal with that. But I feel like. As a message and a tool, I think it's quite powerful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. There's always these these difficulties, but do, do the harms outweigh the 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 the, 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 the um, pros and the benefits for you, Azam? Do, do you agree with 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 some of these uh, latest um, music groups? Uh, to be honest, I found them to be more cringy than fun. Mm-hmm. And but the question oh, is actually, say, <laughs> is it an expression of yeah. uh, is it a, an expression of religion or is it an expression of a certain culture? If it is an expression of a culture, then sure, no problem. I mean, everyone has their own culture, and I won't judge. However, as an expression of religious practice, which tends to be grounded, i.e., in Quran and Sunnah. That would be really problematic to deal with. But but you would, would you say um, that uh, if if they were to say no, it's a religious, um, it's endorsed by religion that it's accepted because um, you can you have ada obviously within your practice and manifestation of Islam. So would you accept it uh, then? 
Well, as it is a'ada, that's my point. It's not a'ibadah. Mm-hmm. It's not something which actually emanates from the religion. But, but in the, in the sense that a'ada muhakkama, right? But it is, a, mm-hmm. it is a result of the interaction between culture and religion. And it's not the, of the religion per se. That's what I think. And therefore, uh, of course, there are many problems which uh, do result from it. And you have mentioned some. And I think, therefore, it's it's a really uh, it's a really tricky business to delve into. And I find it, more, you know, it's I don't feel comfortable with it. Let's just say that. But you wouldn't condemn it, would you? Just because you come from um, the Middle East? Oh, no, no, it's not about the Middle East. Even in the Middle East, you have such. Uh, Especially, I mean, in Lebanon, you do, yeah. Mm-hmm. In Lebanon, I, especially, yeah. though, yeah. Yeah, especially in Lebanon, you have to start its music. However, uh, religion tends to focus much on modesty and people yelling, and uh, you know, uh, when the celebrity comes out, and you know, that type of culture which loses all sense of limitation in dealing with music is really problematic you know we have uh, narrations that the prophet didn't yell even in the markets so just compare that with the ah which happens when the celebrity comes out. Um, no, I mean, the, 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 there's yeah. the whole culture. I mean, Mahmoud, maybe you can uh, touch on that. Yeah, in, in West Africa, right? In West Africa, it's, it's, it's very common for people to make a, 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 a lot of noise when making dhikr, you know? Yeah, no, I feel like it's very uh, it's very cultural. And I find that, um, and even my music, music that I put out there, people were saying, Astaghfirullah, how are you dancing and saying, you know, La ilaha illallah, how are you dancing and saying the Prophet's name? And I find and I find it's very cultural. For example, mm-hmm. where I'm from, West Africa originally, that's, that's, there's no issue with that. And I find that it also comes down to the issue of race and race relations in, in the Muslim communities, is that certain cultural practices are seen more Islamic than others. So in the UK, for example, I mean, the famous example, Khalid Zid went to a mosque and performed a song with no music, but he was, he was beatboxing over yeah, it. Yeah. And, people, and the comments were disgusting. People were saying, how did you let this, you know, this monkey into the mosque, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 you know, disgusting comments about this person, really, it was just a cultural expression of how he expressed Islam. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know the, you. You were uh, you, actually you showed me a video of of of, of some women, female singing, um, rocking that hijab or something like that. What, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, um, I can hear by the laughter that some of our male counterparts on here has have also listened to the, the song or watched the video. Yeah, that was quite fascinating. But on the topic of music, I think that you know it's something that. Mm, I don't think that we'll ever have consensus in terms of the different communities in the world, Muslim communities. Um, but we have to remember that uh, in Islam, anything that uh, is good or has a good message generally goes, you know, and say, give your name, it's with good intent, give give a, good, a name of good meaning. Mm. And so we even see in South Africa, you know, when Muslims weren't necessarily allowed to, you know, pray as Muslims, yeah. they, you know, you find the Ratibul Haddad that was sort of in a musical tone yes. so that people would not know that they're praying. Um, and so I think that... These questions on music, it changes, you know, over over in different in different communities. It changes in different eras, mm. and uh, we find now in South Africa we have someone who I personally um, I think is quite interesting because he speaks to the person on the Cape Flats, and that is youngster. Oh yes, yeah. And uh, yes. you find that he sings songs. You know, the one song is called Tacky, the other one is called Arabian Gangster, mm. and. Uh, 
you know, if you if you look at the imagery, it's very much like rap, pop culture, but the wording, no one in Cape Town that I can say in terms of the Muslim community has come up with a message that speaks to the to the issues that Muslim youth face compared to what he has done. And so, you know, in, in the one song, Tackies, you know, the importance of having Tackies and name brand Tackies in our community sometimes is overlooked. Yeah. You know, people may not have food, but they need that. This it's, it, it's a, they, That's an mm-hmm. issue that needs to be addressed in our communities. So that is quite fascinating. And with the issue of, you know, rocking my hijab and, you know, I found this quite hilarious. We were watching the video and I was laughing because it was it was so much like, you know, I lowered my gaze. I'm joking. You lowered your gaze. <laughs> it was, it was, it was yeah. somewhat cringeworthy, but somewhat cool. Yeah. So I thought that that was uh, somewhat, for me, it was like empowering these young girls finding a voice. Yeah, I mean, so we have just three minutes over and um, I, I suppose it's this question about how, how much would you, you know, try and go beyond the form that you've been, you know, uh, conditioned in with within your bringing up to see the, the message behind things. Um, just the last question to everyone, uh, please, like, just uh, very short answers. Um, how do we accept the diversity and the unity and diversity of the Muslims? Um, and w- what's your message for young people? Just in conclusion, uh, let's start with, with um, Azam. Uh, well, in dealing with diversity, I think it's important to recognize what is what is to be argued about and what is to be considered something which people have uh, the choice of uh, you know dealing with according to their own taste. And I think drawing these lines is really elemental in knowing how to deal with religion, which is you know the hardcore religion, and then how to deal with customs and habits and so on. And I think once we draw those lines, many of the problems which we have as a Muslim community will be resolved. How, how, what is your advice, um, Mamdu? I think you uh, have to be open, be willing to learn. And I feel like above all, it's how you approach people. For example, mm-hmm. if people had an issue with me dancing in a music video, I'd rather than taking me, oh, bro, I thought this all, you know, bro, I thought this was wrong in Islam. Could you help me understand what, why you're doing this? I think that's much, that's much of a better approach than to say to somebody, oh, you're going to hellfire for doing this. You know, I feel like there's a, there's a, how you approach things really will set the tone of your relationship with people. And just uh, your your final comment, uh, Kiran, especially in South Africa. Yeah, as a South African um, female, I think that uh, I have to say, as much as we complain about the youth, I think that we are on a good track. Uh, we, we have open discussions compared to, we have platforms for open discussions where we can learn and grow. Uh, and uh, just basically... Just to end off, I know we're running off, we're running short on time. Um, tolerance has always been my core. Uh, tolerance of the other, tolerance of and trying to understand the other. Um, and so, yeah, I think as Muslim youth, uh, you know, raising the next generation, some of us are already. Um, that is the biggest thing: is to teach children tolerance, to to um, and to, to to encourage engagement rather than um, you know critici- criticizing the other. So we looked at the Me Too campaign, uh, politics, and how the Muslims relate to it. Muslims on social media. We looked at uh, Muslims in music now, halal, business, um, fashion, all of all of those things, and unity as well. So I mean, uh, we just brushed over some of the issues that we've been looked at, or that were looked at and trending in 2017. There's so many more, and um, 2018 will be, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. And so hopefully we can have Momidu and Az and everyone else uh, and of course the Akira back on again in the future but uh, shukran jazakumul khair to all of you and um, all the best uh, for the future shukran bro assalamu alaikum wa alaikum salam okay so to the fiat voice of the millennials with yasin kipi igniting the youth